Welcome back to one-on-one -on -one, New York's longest running sports call-in show. I'm Sam Davis here with Jack Roach. Pleasure to welcome to the show Bill Daughtry, former radio host for WCBS 880, WFAN, ESPN, WBGO 88.3. I could just keep going on and on. MSG Network as well. 45 years covering sports in New York. It's great to sit down with someone with so much experience in this industry. Bill, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Sam, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. And we're going to jump into some New York baseball. I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion. I mean, obviously, you've covered the game of baseball for a long time, and you're watching the New York Yankees right now, who had a very difficult start to the season. They were up and down and, and certainly underperformed. Now they're starting to kick it into gear. They have momentum. What do you think is the reasoning behind their recent success lately? And do you see the division in the AL East? Do you think the Yankees can still go out and win that division? I'm not sure about winning the division. I think a major victory for the Yankee team would just be to get that wild card spot, play game 163, and let it let it fall where it's going to fall. They're, they're playing Boston right now. I didn't realize the game had started already. Yeah, don't but, uh, I just beamed it up as scoreless there. It's early in the game. But the, the, the issue I have with the Yankees is for all the changes that they've attempted to make. And Rizzo and Gallo are, are very good. They're, they're good gets for those guys because the Yankees are classically left-handed hitting power team in Yankee Stadium and all of that. And they've been predominantly right-handed for the past five or so years. And that's kind of cost them offensively. Uh, that they have this all-or-nothing philosophy, as most of baseball does now. It's either a, a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. Nobody plays situational ball anymore. And the teams that do are the teams that are beginning to emerge. Tampa Bay has done it for the past couple of three years on a, a low-budget team, but they play situational baseball. Their pitching situation is a bit tenuous. Their 21st century pitching where it's churn and burn for as long as you can, and then we'll go to the bullpen. Uh, Boston, they're a little bit more of a situational hitting team. Over in the National League, you see what the Giants are doing. Uh, interesting stat last night, they were talking about the Giants lead the major leagues and home runs are there among the leaders, whereas for years they had not been anywhere near that category, even going back to the days when they had Mays, McCovey, and Cepeda. They only led the league once in home runs, and that's after all three of those guys were gone. At least two of them were gone. McCovey was still there in 72. But to me, the game is still about situational hitting. And then it's pitching and defense. And in all three of those areas, to me, when, when you start talking about teams contending for the championship, not for the playoffs, but for the championship, the Yankees, to me, they don't have enough right now to, to do what needs to be done when the calendar flips to October. You know, I had the opportunity to watch a past interview of yours, and I think that you expressed some, you know, disappointment or frustration with today's game of baseball. And I think that's totally fair to criticize the MLB today. But, you know, I was just curious if there's some aspect of today's game that makes you excited for the future of baseball. Uh, you know, it's funny. They, they, there was a, a piece on ESPN today about commissioner for a day. And what would you change if you were commissioner? And they went down eight points that the only one that really made an impression with me is the pace of play. 
And if it takes a pitch clock to do that, so be it. But, I mean, again, the game has become so one-dimensional now. And that was one of the things that was mentioned in this piece. It's, it's not about stat counting anymore. It's about percentages. You know, and I don't know if that's necessarily where you want to be. But, I mean, on-base percentage was a stat we never really talked about until about 15 years ago. And we began to appreciate with players like Ricky Henderson. Uh, uh, Tony Phillips was another guy. Tremendous on-base guys. And then you take it to the next piece. Now your number two hitter is a guy that's hitting the ball out of the park. Where back in the day, as Bob Murphy used to call him, a bat manipulator, a guy could bunt a guy over, a guy could go to the opposite field. That's the stuff that excites me about baseball, and that's the stuff we don't see enough anymore. You think about stolen bases. Who led the majors in stolen bases last year? How many did they have? 30, maybe 40, if they had that many? I mean – that is such a powerful part of the game. Look at the Cardinals of, of, of the late 80s playing on AstroTurf, the big red machine. Everybody talked about how Cincinnati could hit home runs and, and cudgel you into submission. Those guys had first to third, second to home, even first to home speed. Sparky Anderson in the 1976 World Series, he was the manager of the Reds back then, and this was going to be the first time that they got to play with the DH in the postseason. They had Dan Dreesen. Sparky said, we'll use it. We'll just first to third them for, you know, uh, as long as we possibly can. Cincinnati swept that series. And it wasn't because they were hitting a lot of home runs. They were hitting situational spots. They were moving guys along. And every once in a while, they'd get the big home run from bench, which he had two in, in, in game four. But still in all, I mean, that's what's missing to me with baseball and if that kind of thing returns if we start to see more athleticism out of these players instead of just swinging for the fences or striking out i'm not excited about that you mentioned executing and i think that's a, a good segue uh with, especially with runners in the scoring position the new york mets right now haven't been doing very much of that at all they've been struggling greatly and sliding and now all of a sudden they're in third place out of the division at the moment uh what are your thoughts on what is the reasoning behind that? What are your thoughts on the Mets right now? And do you think they still have a chance to kind of get back in that division? Because the lead is still short, even though they've been sliding now for what's been over a week at this point. Uh, the, the Mets have relied on pitching, and rightly so. The last time they were a factor in this league, 15, 2015, 2016, 2015, they were in the World Series. Why? Because they had pitching, they had defense. They had one big bat. Cespedes was the guy who made things happen they were still trying to work in that frame. And then Syndergaard gets hurt last year, Stroman opts out, you know, now this year, their main guy is, you know, Jacob DeGrom is having all kinds of problems. He's suddenly turning to Steven Matz in terms of staying healthy, you know, so that's their big problem. And, and the thing that was really interesting about them was their pitching was playing better than their defense. They really didn't have a good defensive team, but now they're a lot better defensively. You know, uh, uh, up the middle, uh, I've never been big on Brandon Nimmo as a center fielder, but he's, he's shown that he's, he's an adequate, he's a serviceable major league center fielder, and he gives you enough on offense to hold down that position. Now they have gold glove guys when they're healthy, it's short and second. Their third base situation, eh, it's okay. You know, and the outfield is acceptable. 
so, I mean, their defense has gotten better. I'm not going to write them off just yet. But, again, it goes back to situational baseball. And last night in San Francisco, you saw some guys coming up with gap hits instead of swinging for the fences. I, it's just the way you go about playing the game. And if you can get more mileage out of being a good situational player, a good situational hitter, I mean, that's going to serve you well. I don't know. Do you watch Olympic baseball at all? A little bit, yeah. So, okay, we go back to the first time the U.S. played Japan. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't the gold medal game, but the yeah, U.S. played time. Japan. Yep. And Japan, playing situational baseball, rallied to tie the game in the ninth. And then in extra innings in Olympic baseball, you don't just get a runner on second. You get runners at first and second and nobody out. So USA was a visiting team. They got runners at first and second. Todd Frazier was the first guy up, whiffs. Next guy up, whiffs. Third guy up, fly ball left field, inning over, first and second, just standing. What happens when Japan comes up? Bunch. The first guy up, lays down a bunt. Now second and third, and there's nobody out. And then what's the second guy do? He's a defensive specialist. He was a catcher. I can't remember his name. He ropes a shot to the right center field gap. Ball game over. Situational baseball. I try to hit it out of the park. Just get the guys in scoring position and get, get them on, get them over, get them in. And that's what Japan did, and they won that game. We don't do that here. And that's, that's distressing. It keeps coming back to that. To me. You mentioned that, uh, that rule in extra innings with runner on second base. And that seems to kind of be like a hot question if it's going to be a part of the game going forward. Do you think that that has, you know, made a positive impact on baseball? And do you think we're going to see that going forward? It, it, yes and no. And I hate to be wishy-washy on it. I don't like the rule. I don't, you know, I don't like you getting two free base runners and I got to get myself out of a gym. I don't like that at all. I get it that it's about increasing the action, increasing the speed of the game. Because what, once, what was once idyllic, Oh, you just go to the ballpark, watch two games, you got the whole afternoon. We're not, we're not that culture anymore. We're not that society anymore. We're fast, short attention span. We got to get it going. We don't have, we don't have the patience to sit there and, and watch two guys get on base and extra innings. No, let's get this game over with. There's no clock. I don't want to be here all night. I got stuff to do. I got dinner day. You know, and the game moves along at a slow pace. And and to me, that's a big problem with baseball. That's why to me. Basketball and football, uh, I, my wife is a perfect example. She, baseball, she doesn't like baseball because it goes on forever. Okay, and that was, that was the appeal of it to us. Okay, we go out and spend a sunny day and, you know, play all day long. But we're, like I said, we're not that society anymore. We need a finite clock. We want to know that we're going to get out of here in two hours, two and a half hours and get on with our life and have been entertained in that span. Baseball doesn't do that anymore. And so that, that's why there's a bit of concern for where the game is going. Here with Bill Daughtry, host for the Fan ESPN Radio and more here on one-on-one. I'll switch over to football here briefly. Of course, you've covered the Jets for years in the past. Uh, looking at the Jets now, I, I'm curious, what are your expectations for, of course, Zach Wilson and Robert Saab, both in their first seasons with the Jets? What's the expectation for year one for both of them? I like Salah. Uh, I like Wilson also. Guys throwing nine passes in competition. So, I mean, how crazy can you get? Yeah. But 
one of the things that you do like, you like the way he broke the huddle. He seemed to be in command of stuff. He got the ball out of his hand on time. He looked like he belonged. He looked like, you know, he, 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 he was up to speed. And I was going to change when he goes against the top ranked defense and he's got some man eaters, 11 of them on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think maybe, you know, you, you'll find out a little bit more about him. Again, it's a direction thing. How good is a rookie quarterback going to be? He's going to be as good as the five guys that line up in front of him. If he has time, if, if there's good blocking, crisp precision, execution on offense, the quarterback will be good. We still don't know about Sam Darnold. It's like every snap, the guy was running for his life. <laughs> and you can't put that on him. You yep. put that on the offensive line. That's what the NFL is all about. Build a competent front five. Give the quarterback time to execute your offense. What happened to Kansas City in the Super Bowl? They were missing both of their starting guards. And Tampa Bay just had a field day with them. And all of a sudden, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the modern era looked like total garbage because why? They couldn't protect them. You can only run for your life so long in the NFL. So, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. I don't think Carolina knows what they have in Sam Darnold. Nobody knows because he hasn't had a, a competent offensive line in front of him to give him an opportunity to show whatever skill he has. I want to ask you about basketball because you were the host of MSG Sports Desk for almost a decade. And the Knicks this season completely, you know, outperformed their expectations and made the playoffs. Um, and I was just curious, you know, how high you were on the Knicks going forward with the current core of players they have and some of the additions that they made this offseason, you know, Kemba Walker and Fournier and others. Fournier will be interesting. And bonehead play in the Olympics almost cost France a chance uh, going to the gold medal game. Um, Kemba Walker. I like Kemba, but how much does he have left? He only played 48 games last year. And I get it. You want Rose to play 20 minutes. You want Kemba to play 20 minutes, and then you'll figure it out for the other eight minutes. I get that. But they're two different kinds of guys now. There's two different styles in play. And neither one of them is a defensive whiz, although Derek Rose is more accustomed to what Tom Thibodeau likes to see done on the basketball court. And right now, I have to give that nod to Rose. I like the addition of Kemba Walker. He's a talented player. But again, how much is he going to be available? If he's available to the Knicks for 48 games, it's going to be a problem. You know, uh, I like what the young players did. And I like that they re-signed Maryland's Noel. Because please note, after Nerlens Noel got injured in game two of the playoffs, I believe it was, the whole series changed. Because now Trey Young has free access to the hoop. And where did he create his problems? When he penetrated. I mean, he was either making shots or he was dishing. For, you know, So Nerlens Noel, say what you want about him offensively. And, and I was never a big New Orleans Noel fan, but that series changed when he was no longer available to the New York Knicks who were already down Robinson. When they got small in the middle and Taj Gibson was their guy, they were in trouble the rest of the series. And it showed as, 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 as Atlanta basically had their way with. Speaking with Bill Daughtry, just an absolute wealth of experience, and we have to get into it. Love the reset, Sam. I love the reset. You like it? Okay, good, good, good. I mean, there's so many, you know, when I do this to people, they just drone on and on and on and on. You got to break it for a minute there. You know what I'm saying? You guys are on the right path. 
<laughs> I appreciate so I that, Bill. That. Well, we have to get into all the experience you have, and and I want to start here. Uh, you know, Jack mentioned the Knicks, and I want to I want to start with your time at, at MSG Network. Of course, you went from the radio, you went from WCBS and the fan, jumping to television. So, can you explain like what that process was like? Was that a little difficult for you? And then also, of course, with your time in MSG Network, you saw a Knicks team go to the NBA Finals, and just explaining that experience as well. So, what was that time like for you at MSG Network? Oh. Yeah, I'll take you back a little farther. I was uh, at WFAN. Mm-hmm. I was pretty happy there. You know, I didn't have any disagreements with anybody there. And I was all set to sign another contract. And they, 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 they took their time getting that contract to me. And <laughs> once they got it to me, my agent calls me and says, you that contract? I said, yeah. He said, don't sign it. I said, what's up? This is, you might be doing something else. Don't sign that contract. So I didn't sign it. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, here comes Mike McCarthy from MSG. And he wants me to make the jump to TV. And it's like, cool. <laughs> I can do that. You know, I, I got to, to meet Mike and to know Mike, who is now at Marquee Sports in Chicago, doing a great job there. Mike McCarthy was a guy, his father, first of all, the great Johnny McCarthy was groundkeeper for the New York Mets polo grounds in the early days of Shea Stadium. And Mike was always around the business and he started out ground floor. He's basically a messenger, a mailroom employee at MSG. He went from that to the head of the network. So that, that says a lot about him right there and his ability to deal with people. And he, he reflected that same personality when he was dealing with folks like me, giving people an out-of-the-box chance. MSG was doing some simulcasts with us at FAM. And I was the guy who was on the air. I might have been doing updates or whatever it was during those simulcasts. And that was pretty much the genesis of how they became interested in, oh, this guy might work for us. You know, and so fast forward, uh, it took me a few months to get used to being on television every day. See, we're on radio now. Radio, you're in control. You have control of the button. You don't have to look anywhere. You don't have to, yeah, I mean, it's all in front of you. It's a little mystery world. We are, we are, are, are painters of the word picture, okay? But on television, you're a narrator. And you have to narrate what's on the screen and sometimes you're on the screen. And when you are, you can't be looking down at your notes. You can't be looking to see. No, you've got to look. You've got that relationship with the camera. And it took a little while to master that. And I'll never forget. <laughs> first, we were doing a sports desk. And when I first got to the garden, we didn't have a telephone. It wasn't working for whatever reason. Then after a while, we got a teleprompter that we controlled under the desk with our foot. Which is kind of cool because, you know, yeah. I, I got to be a real master at that. Mm-hmm. But when you did Nick's game night, there was no prompter. It's just you and a camera person looking into that camera, looking in the space, and you got, you've got a rundown and whatever notes in your hand. And if I could go back and look at some of those first Nick game nights, boy, that'd be a comedy that I'd still be a how not to do TV. But to, to give people at the Garden credit, they didn't beat you up. They didn't harp on it. They didn't emphasize your negatives. 
He had some great producers and great directors. Howie Singer at the top of the list. Howie's a good dude, man. And, and he got me through some stuff early. And then one of, one, all of a sudden, the light just goes on. The light just goes on. I mean, when you're sitting at a desk in the studio, piece of cake. Okay? Because like I said, you got that prompter. When you don't have that prompter, that's when your radio skills come in. But you've got to hone it to the point where you can make the two meld because you're not just talking into the microphone. You just don't just have that. You're speaking into a camera. You have to talk. That that camera is your audience. And that's what you have to learn how to master. And some people were really great at it. By the time I was done, I would say I was pretty good at it. You know, uh, and uh, I enjoyed my time there immensely. Immensely. I did some things there. One, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me at MSG Network. Not a lot of people know. We had the Mets and the Yankees. We had, we had the inventory of everything in New York sports. The only thing we didn't do were live NFL games, okay, because those contracts belonged to somebody else. We had two baseball teams. We had three hockey teams. We had three basketball teams, if you wanted to include the Liberty. We had it all. So I had the opportunity to do Mets, Yankees, one of the first HD broadcasts. Uh, high-definition broadcast, we did a test. The Yankees were playing the Minnesota Twins at the stadium, and they asked me to do it. You know, I mean, it was like about 10 people watching, but it was like the infancy of HD. But the greatest thing that happened to me at Madison Square Garden, nobody saw it, a few people saw it. We were at Old Tiger Stadium, and we're doing our thing on the field pregame. We were down the first baseline, and someone behind the first base dugout Stands up with this huge poster. We love Bill Daughtry. And blew me away. I said, I'm in Detroit. What is this? <laughs> you know, and it turned out it was somebody from Ohio that was, it was, you know, the, the love fest. So that was one of the coolest things that has ever happened to me. I thought it was great. You know, and again, it was the venue. It wasn't here. It wasn't in New York Stadium. It wasn't in New York Arena. We're in Detroit, Michigan, for God's sakes, and the people who, who were expressing it were from Ohio. So, you know, that was that was pretty cool. After that experience, I know you hosted a radio show on ESPN, um, and I was able to see some of the interviews with guys like Max Kellerman, uh, Stephen A., Jay Billets, <laughs> uh, who have come to become, uh, you know, such huge personalities uh, in today's landscape. Is there any one of those interviews that really stands out to you now that you really appreciate doing? The best interview I ever did. Uh, Sweeney Murdy, who is now doing Yankees coverage for the fan and does a little bit for SNY on occasion. Sweeney used to be my producer at, 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 at WFAN. And we had some great moments. And the, the, the interview that I talk about often was with Steve Carlton. Now, backstory here. Steve Carlton, when he was a, a pitcher in the major leagues, when he was on the route to the, the Hall of Fame, when he was a Cy Young Award winner, he was in 27 games for a Philadelphia team that won 50-something games. Steve Carlton did not talk to the media. He didn't, no matter how great his accomplishments were, no matter how wonderful his game was, he did not talk to, a media, to the media. He used to have a sign on his uh, locker stall that said, policy is policy. 
He didn't do it. And Keith, uh, rather, uh, Tim McCarver was kind of his mouthpiece, and you'd go to other players, but you could not go to Steve Carlton to get a, a direct quote on anything that happened in the game. So here we are, fast forward. Steve Carlton's been elected to the Hall of Fame. And I come into work that day, and Sweeney says, we got Steve Carlton for an interview. He was at a cabin up in Montana or Idaho, wherever the heck he was. And we do the spot. It was about a 30-minute interview with one of the great pitchers, Hall of Famer now, elected to the Hall of Fame. And the interview lasted, I would say it was close to 30 minutes. And when we were done, he tells me and Sweeney, he says, I really enjoyed this. And I mean, for a guy who would never, ever, under any circumstances, talk to media, for him to say that he enjoyed the time that we had, the conversation that we had on a New York radio station for 30 minutes, that was, put a pin in that. That was good stuff. Bill, just one more question before you get out of here. Um, being a Harlem native, growing up in New York, just kind of talk about what it meant for you to cover New York sports specifically for so long during your career, especially because you grew up around them and you've watched them, I'm sure, since you were very young. Just talk about what that experience has been like. Well, my parents separated when I was 11, but whenever me and my father got together, which was just about every weekend, we would go to a baseball game. It was Mets or Yankees. You know, we didn't have none of this territory. I hear guys, I'll never go to Yankees. Fool, go. <laughs> you know, uh, and so I, I got to see a lot. And we moved out of Harlem when I was seven years old to a place called Mount Vernon, New York. We grew up in Mount Vernon. And I lived right behind Ken Singleton's uncle. Our houses were back to back. And Kenny's younger brother, Fred, who was a, a great track and field runner in his own right and later became head uh, track and field coach at White Plains High School. Me and Fred were a year apart in school. And so we ran the same social circles and became good friends. And it was in that that I got the opportunity to spend time with and meet his brother, his big brother, who would be drafted by the Mets out of Hofstra. And going to have a magnificent major league career and later become a broadcaster. And one of my great, great moments as a broadcaster was working with my childhood friend, Ken Singleton on New York Yankee baseball. First time I had sushi, we were in Cleveland. He takes me to some restaurant in Cleveland. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, Kenny was my first pro, really. I mean, we watched him play American Legion ball, Bronx Federation ball right on up the line, okay? Um, went to Mount Vernon High School. We've turned out a lot of professional basketball players. The Williams brothers, Gus and Ray. The McCray brothers. And there were others. Rudy Hackett, Earl Tatum. All these guys are friends of mine growing up. So I was always around it. You know, I even competed against some of these guys. Rudy Hackett was a baseball player. And then when I see him turn up on the basketball box, he's like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> you know, and he was a damn good basketball player. Had a cup of coffee in the NBA, went over to Europe. His son, Daniel, uh, 
was lighting it up at, at UC, at rather USC, so about 10, 15 years ago. Rudy became the strength and conditioning coach at USC. The guy was a string bean when we were growing up, really. He was like 6'2 and maybe, maybe weighed all of 160 pounds. Um, Gus Williams, the, all these guys, these, these were good friends of mine. I played baseball against Ray Williams. I played baseball against Earl Tatum. It was the toughest curveball to either catch or hit. You know, I mean, Earl could have been a great baseball player if he had decided to be that. But instead, he, he went to the NBA and Jerry West called him the black Jerry West. So, I mean, if, if, if you're getting compliments on that level, what are you going to play baseball for? So, you know, I, I mean, I grew up with these guys. I grew up around these guys. So I was always around it. I had three major league tryouts myself, and I found out that, dude, you can't hit big league fastball. <laughs> you can hit a minor league fastball. We, we were disconnected. And they put some, some first year A pitcher out there and gave us a 29 inch bat. And this guy is throwing stuff. He's dancing, darting, dipping, diving. It's like, really? Okay. Uh, I get it. That's when you knew. <laughs> I won't be doing this. Keep, keep talking into that microphone. So, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's, it was a great experience. It was a great time in my life, and uh, I have no regrets about it. Bill Daughtry, sports radio host, WCBS, WFAN, ESPN Radio, MSG Network, and more. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Sam, Jack, you guys were great, and keep doing those rejoins, and you'll go far in this business. Thanks for the time. Will do. Thanks so much. We're going to be right back on 101, New York's longest running sports call-in show. Stick around.